Hey, Chris. Hey, Stevie. You ready to go? Yeah, let's start the show. Welcome to the Talent Crush Chat Show. I'm Stevie Jackson. And I'm Christopher Royce. And this is our new podcast dedicated to discussing the art and culture we love and sometimes talking to the people who make it. Uh, You might know me from my work on Twitter, where I do some social media management for a couple of my friends who have podcasts. Uh, One of them is the JV Club with Janet Varney, and the other one is the Jackie and Lori Show with Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin. And I really enjoy doing that. So I'm hoping that we'll get a lot of people to listen to this who uh, know me from Twitter because I have enjoyed everybody that I've met from those accounts. It's a couple of really fun communities. Um, The other thing that uh, you might be familiar with me from is uh, I've written for moviepilotnews.com and Vocal Media, done uh, what I tend to refer to as nerd culture pieces. So movie reviews, talk about TV and podcasts and books and all sorts of fun stuff. And I also wrote a Star Wars fan fiction novel called Redux of the Jedi that we probably won't get into too much on this because uh, probably won't have ourselves as talent crushes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's uh, an ongoing project that uh, I hope to be having an announcement about relatively soon as we record this. Um, Stevie, tell us uh, what the people might know you from. Uh, I'm an actress, writer, and producer in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Um, So you might know me from small roles on Vancouver shot shows um, or larger roles in certain industrial safety training films and such. (laughs) Uh, You might also know me from Twitter. So if you got here from my Twitter or Instagram, thank you. Uh, It's also possible that you're a friend or family member, in which case, thank you for downloading and supporting this endeavor. Yes, we appreciate everybody who uh, knew us before we were big fancy podcasters. (laughs) We remember the little people. That's right. (laughs) Because we still are the little people. Speak to yourself. I'm six feet tall. (laughs) Oh, well. Wow, is that a stupid joke. I really apologize to everybody listening to that. And I wouldn't blame you if you turned it off right now. (laughs) But... Assuming that you have not, uh, why don't we tell people a little bit about what they can expect from the show? Um, So what we're hoping to do is bring you uh, a little little sanctuary of joy in what is currently a very tumultuous world. Uh, We want to talk about things that we love and why we love them and uh, why we respect and admire the people who make them. We hope to introduce you to some creators that you might not be aware of. And we'll also talk about some bigger name people that you will be aware of. Um, But it's not a gossip podcast. We're not going to talk about people's personal lives or or speculate on that kind of thing. But we are going to talk about the the work that they create, whether they're actors or singer-songwriters or podcasters, uh, writers, what have you. We're not not even narrowing it down to what a talent could be. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and can I just say before we get too much further, Sanctuary of Joy is something we should have come up with earlier. That would have been a great title for the show. Oh, man. Is it too late? I guess it's too late I to change it. I think it's too late to change it. <laughs> but I, I think that the other important thing to mention is that, you know, we talk about different types of creative people or performers, but I think that we both have a special talent crush weakness for people who are multi-hyphenates, people who do tons mm -hmm. of different kinds of things, especially because we're both creative people who try to hold down day jobs and want to have a lot of different uh, things on our plate, podcasting and writing and doing all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, that's a thing that for me, is really interesting is how do people hold down, you know, being a TV star and directing a movie and being a podcaster and writing a book and doing all sorts of other crazy stuff at the same time. It's, uh, it's things that seem overwhelming from the outside are fun to explore for me. <laughs> I think for me, you're going to hear, um, a lot about women who create their own work. I have a special weakness for, um, female creators, uh, and, and particularly in the world of comedy. Um, so fu funny people in general, uh, funny women of all stripes in particular, and, uh, and people who have forged their own way and, and made their own work that tends to be my sweet spot. So you'll probably hear about a lot of those guys from me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's more fun to talk to and about funny people. Uh, and I personally <laughs> am just a huge comedy nerd. And I tend to, as a, a history major, somebody trained as a historian, I tend to look at our comedians in the modern era as the people who would have been philosophers in a previous era who help us look at the world in different ways. And uh, yeah, that's my little highfalutin digression there. <laughs> Well, and I would expand that even past comedians to, in general, people who, I don't even want to say create art, but but in, in general terms, whether that art is newspaper articles or whether it's paintings or, or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think to some extent, our artists are the people who are responsible for, um, as Shakespeare put it, holding the mirror up to nature. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great quote. I personally feel like art is such a loaded term because I mean, it I've, sounds really highfalutin. And when I say art, yeah. I am also talking about, you know, comic books and, and poop jokes sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you could be an artist with a good fart joke. Um, it's possible. I, I tend to think of art <laughs> as like fine art. And so if somebody said to me like, oh, you wrote an article and a novel and whatever, uh, you're an artist uh, that makes me like, I don't paint. I don't sculpt. Like those are the arts. I well, I think that's, that's also why I like the term creative or yes. creator. That's why I tend to use that too. Yeah. Cause we're going to talk about people creating the written word, people creating television, movies, web series, pop songs. It, it really could be anything. People creating social movements, maybe. I don't know. Yes. We definitely have some plans to um, move off of just what we think of traditionally as creative people into politics and sciences and uh, stray a little further afield, uh, sort of whatever we think is interesting that we feel compelled to share. Yeah. But it's not a political podcast no, per se. No, as such. We're, we're excited to bring you new episodes. It'll be the first Wednesday of every month. Um, and we're new at this, full disclosure. So we're, we're also open to hearing what you guys think. So please um, tweet at us or uh, Instagram comment at us or visit <laughs> our Tumblr and use that Ask Me Anything button and, and let us know what you think and if there's stuff that 
you'd like to hear, and I'm sure people will be happy to let us know if they think we've made a mistake. Uh, all, all we ask is, don't be mean. <laughs> That's always a good start. Um, but yeah, send us a message or an email, and we're also always looking for prompts for our unreliable advice segments. Oh, so yes. If you have something that you want us to weigh in on, uh, we're probably not going to have a good answer, but we will try to have fun giving you an answer of some kind. And listen, no matter how trivial your question uh, or no matter how weighty, we will be happy to give you <laughs> completely unreliable, unqualified advice that we will not stand by in a court of law um, if you just <laughs> send us your table. questions. Yeah, we, we accept no liability for the results of our advice, and we're very upfront about that. So uh, your mileage may vary, as Chris likes to say. I do. I say that a lot. You do. It's your thing. Uh, <laughs> so we have a couple of uh, fun crush segments for you on this show, and then some of the aforementioned unreliable advice. Uh, we hope you'll stick with us after the music. Enjoy. Stevie, which of your talent crushes do you want to talk about today? Uh, today I'm going to talk about Ricky Lindholm, who... Oh, she's yeah, great. Yeah, I think she's someone that whose work you also know pretty well. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I just she's someone that I find really impressive, and she's kind of one of my... Uh, I hate the word inspiration, but I don't have a better term for it. So she's, <laughs> she's one of the people that I find um, particularly inspiring because she's made so much of her own work. Um, and as I've kind of taken that journey to create some of my own work, um, I've kind of tried to look at what she's done and what her path has been. I've been aware of her for a while. Um, and she was, uh, what I like to call a that gal to me for quite a while, <laughs> meaning somebody that from the documentary, um, yeah, she's not in the documentary, but there for the listeners, there is a documentary that you should watch called that gal who was in that thing. And, uh, it has a sort of a brother piece, a companion piece called that guy who was in that thing. And it's, uh, about character actors and what it's like to do that job. Ricky's not in the documentary, but I did steal the term from it. Uh, and what I mean by <laughs> it is that she's somebody that I saw on TV, a fair bit, but it took a while before I knew her name. So she was somebody that I would see and think, oh, yeah, I like her. She's funny. But I didn't really go any farther than that. I had no idea who she was. And uh, I came to know who she was, I think, through her podcast. She had a podcast called Making It with Ricky Lindholm. Do you remember that, Chris? Absolutely. I listened to almost every episode of that podcast. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's been dormant for a few years, but it was active uh, for two or three years back around 2011, 2012, 2013. And she would interview other performers at her tier or maybe a tier or two up from her about how they had built their career, where they started, you know, everything from kind of where were you born and where did you grow up and how old were you when you started doing this to sort of step-by-step step through their career and how they got to where they are. And it was fascinating and informative. And as an actor, it was also extremely comforting because you learn really quickly that no two people got there the same way. 
that everybody's path is different and everybody's path takes a different amount of time. Um, and also that so many of us have the same experiences. There's something really nice about hearing someone who's three tiers above you on the actor ladder talk about how insecure they still feel. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. Um, and also she, she had one segment that I particularly loved, or I don't know if it's really a segment, but toward the end, she would usually ask people if they had any funny audition stories or any bad audition stories. And so, yeah, those are great. yeah, to hear somebody that you admire talk about something embarrassing that they had to do in the room or, you know, something that went wrong or the funny cameraman or whatever it was, is just kind <laughs> of a, a shared experience. So that was really, that's really where I came to know a little bit more about her. And then I started to notice her a little more on TV, usually in kind of smaller roles. Like she did, she did sort of smaller guest shots on a lot of shows. Like uh, she did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She did Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. um, more than once. Twice. Yeah, and as different characters. She's, yep. if, if you look, she's back in season two or three as just some kid in a high school. And then she comes back in season, I really should have looked at her IMDb, but season five or six, she <laughs> actually comes back in a few episodes as a recurring character, as a different person. Um, she was a victim on Criminal Minds. So she she did a bunch of <laughs> of stuff. And then during the same time, she had the podcast and she uh, had her band Garfunkel and Oates. Uh, and I'm going to say right now that I'm talking about Ricky today. I am totally aware that in two of her biggest projects, she has a partner who is the other half of the thing. So in the case of Garfunkel and Oates, that's Kate Micucci. And in the case of another period that I'm going to get to in a second, it's Natasha Leggero. And those ladies are amazing and we are not sliding them. They're going to get their own segments down the road. So today's about Ricky, but (laughs) nobody gets there alone. And yes, she has partners who do half the work on certain things and, you know, acknowledged and we will get to those ladies. They just, they merit segments in their own right instead of just a mention in someone else's segment. Um, Absolutely. So, um, so Garfunkel and Oates is her comedy band with Kate Micucci. And I love that they name themselves after the lesser known halves of more famous duos. <laughs> yeah. They call the two of music's most famous second bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and I think my sense of it, and uh, if Ricky ever wants to come on the podcast and tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, open invitation anytime. <laughs> just just for that purpose, just a real quick 10-second That's second. right. Yeah, she can call in <laughs> and tell me if I'm right or not. <laughs> my my sense generally with Garfunkel and Oates is that Ricky is primarily the lyricist and Kate primarily writes the music. Um, yeah, especially when it comes to the swears. That's how it feels. Yeah. I mean, she calls herself uh, the Stephen Sondheim of dick jokes. And if you look back at some of her own music that happened before Garfunkel and Oates, or at least parallel with it, that was not the band's music, but her own, um, it's very similar in tone. So one of my favorites Mm -hmm. of her own that she did is called Pretty in Buffalo. And it's, yeah, I love that song. It's great. It's, it's really clearly written out of a frustration with being in LA (laughs) and competing (laughs) with a lot of very beautiful people. Um, And I I actually love it because Ricky grew up in Buffalo and I grew up in a town called Oshawa that is outside of Toronto. And basically, if you were to look at a map, we grew up across the lake from each other. It's the same geographic area and and fairly similar places. And and basically, I just relate so hard to everything she says in that song. (laughs) 
You say you wanna find a girl who has it all Hotter than Giselle and funnier than Lucille Ball In battle of wits and tits We both know which way you'll go But I love Giselle wasn't the name of that TV show I'm from a town where mullets aren't ironic So when I go home people want it I'm pretty in Buffalo I'm a foxy motherfucker there don't you know The girls like me in Buffalo And if you don't believe me I'll tell you what you can blow her songs are very funny, but there's also a bit of a bite to them, and they definitely seem to come from a real place. Um, Beige Curtains is another one. Um, yeah, that's a great which one. Which is about meeting a boyfriend's new girlfriend and understanding that he wanted someone who didn't have a personality. Um, <laughs> not good, not bad, just there. That's right. <laughs> just like Beige Curtains. Um, uh one of my favorite songs from that era of Ricky is uh, Late Night Text Subtext. Oh, yes. Which is just, I, I may have to put a link to that somewhere because it's just so, like, brutally honest and haunting. And I just, I think it's, like, that's the evidence that I would use for Ricky whenever she says, I don't think I have that good a voice. Because she has definitely said that, and I definitely disagree. Oh, yeah, she's crazy. She's got a great voice. <laughs> um, I also enjoy Accidental Slut. Yep. Somewhere out there... Uh, she did do an EP, and it's not available anymore. Uh-huh. I have tried to get it. I have not been able to. If anybody else out there wants to send me a copy, I will gladly pay you for it. Um, but somewhere <laughs> out there, she does have an EP of, of this music, and uh, we'll link to it on the episode page because you can find it. Um, she was on something called Groove Shark for a while, and whatever that was seems to have gone away, but it was kind of a SoundCloud-type thing. Uh, a lot of these you can find on YouTube. I don't think she'll mind if people watch them. They're very funny. Um, Groove Shark would be a good name for a band. Actually. It really would. Okay, copyright that if you can. <laughs> when we start our band, Chris. Oh, we have to do a band too. Yeah, we can't just do the podcast. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll think about it. I'm I'm trying to be more prolific. Maybe I need a band. <laughs> um. So I I'm going to assume, and again I haven't researched this, but I'm going to assume that. Um, being a musician in her own right sort of played into Garfunkel and Oates a fair bit because when they did, they had a one season TV show on IFC that was based on their yeah. lives as a band and, and some bits of her old music that didn't seem to belong to the band previously kind of made it in there. Um, and I know that Garfunkel and Oates turned out to be the thing that really got her started. I mean, she tells a story about, um, making a couple of videos with Kate and just throwing them up on YouTube so that her friends and family could see them and going off to shoot something and coming back and they'd had, you know, <laughs> thousands of views and all of a sudden people were paying attention. Yeah. And then they got on Scrubs and I think that was the thing that really did it for them because Kate was on the show and Scrubs licensed the song to play on the show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Do you remember which one that was? What song that was? I don't, but we'd have to, we can look it up, but I, I don't remember. I honestly was not a huge Scrubs fan, so I don't even know if I've seen that episode. Um, I probably shouldn't say that out loud. I, I will cop to also <laughs> not really having watched Scrubbed, the Scrubs. Um, sorry, everybody who loves Scrubs. I'm sure it's a wonderful show. It just didn't quite make it onto my radar. <laughs> With apologies to John C. McGinley. Yes. Oh, always. I remember him from a little movie that no one else remembers called Hear No Evil, in which he played the villain. 
Ooh. Yes. Or Stand Against Evil, which is in its third season this year. Ooh. We'll get to that. <laughs> not, not in this segment, but we'll get to that. I'm sure we'll talk Absolutely. about that. Um, so the, the reason I picked Ricky, and I think I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but it's the fact that she's managed to carve out a career um, is what I find impressive. That she went from playing smaller roles on other people's things to, at this point, running her own show. Um, really yeah, twice with, with Garfunkel and Oates and also with another period uh, on Comedy Central, which just finished its third season. And fingers crossed they get a fourth because I love that show. I'm very attached to it. Um, I'd like it to continue. Yeah, I just watched the two-part season finale. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. No spoilers, even though this may not go up for a while and people probably will have watched it. But uh, you and I should talk about that off the Yes, air. we should. Because <laughs> even if you're listening to this in August, you might not have seen it yet. But Go watch it. Yeah. It's very funny. Um, keeping up with the Kardashians meets Downton Abbey, essentially, uh, with occasional yeah, poop jokes, much. which I don't generally find funny, but for some reason on another period, everything works. Just It's a perfect storm of a show and everything works. Um, Absolutely. It does make me wonder if she ever sleeps because... <laughs> Um, <laughs> she'll do Instagram stories or, or Snapchat and stuff from the editing room of another period. Um, so she's sitting in on editing and she'll be getting a pedicure or something at the same time. And I think like, there's <laughs> obviously just not enough time in the day, but also, I mean, if you're based in LA, that's an open toed footwear situation a lot of the time. So you, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's it's not like Vancouver where I can just hide my feet in closed-toed shoes like nine months of the year. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's that's basically what I what I wanted to talk about. But the the thing that I take away from having looked at her career and the thing that I think other people should take away, other than you should watch the stuff that she makes because it's very very good. Um, but particularly, particularly if you are somebody trying to forge a creative career, I think what's really important about somebody like Ricky is the realization that the stuff that really took her someplace is all stuff she made herself. Um, with other people, of course, nobody gets there alone, even if someone looks like a solo act, which she doesn't, as we said. Um, but there's always a team. There's always, always, always a team behind that person. But somebody has to be the driving force and you have to at some point make the decision that I am going to make this thing or, you know, I am going to have a career in this industry. If I have to tunnel my way in with a spoon, <laughs> I will find yeah. a way. And and I feel like she's found a way and she's found a way that's very unique and, and that works for her. And, and I, I just, I think that's amazing. Well, and the other thing about the podcast, making it specifically that I, as not an entertainment person, really appreciated even was the myth of an overnight success story. There really aren't people, I mean, we could probably each name a handful, but there aren't people who make it overnight. The average overnight success story is a 10 to 15 year process. Absolutely. And so 
Ricky's guests, who seemed to have gotten very big very fast, they were doing things way before that. They were building their resumes, they were practicing, they were getting good at it, uh, so that when the time came and they had an opportunity, they could jump on it and actually make use of that opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, there's... Every overnight success, like you said, it, it it's never overnight. I mean, you get the odd person who really does sort of wander out of school and go to their first audition and book it, and now they're on a TV show. But I think we hear those stories yeah. because they are the exception to the rule and because yeah. they're so enticing. They're so, I mean, that's almost magical. Everybody wants that. But most people continue to, to work and strive for most of their careers. I mean, Steve Carell was around for something like 20 years before he got the office. Yeah. So, I mean, you, yeah. ke- you keep going. And even going. before he got the Daily Show. Even before, we, before he got what? The Daily Show. Oh, gosh, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. Because he was in a UCB, or UCB, Second City touring company mm. for years and years and years out of Chicago. And... um uh, I think the best place to find info about that is actually Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, which I cannot recommend enough to people. I love that um, book. Just if anybody likes a book where a, a person is talking to you about their life, that is great. But Tina specifically is, I'm sure most people listening to this will know, is a brilliant and a great writer. Uh, although I do recommend the audio version as well, because I, I love the way she talks about, especially the chapter about her dad. Yeah. Um, I, just, I love the way she says her dad's name. Like it's <laughs> sort of incapturable, but the Don Fay, yeah. like the way she says it is very compelling. And it's I just uh, that's a spectacular transgression that we just made. But um, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, uh, nobody gets there overnight. It's just not a thing. Correct. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an you have and. to actually have an You I don't have, have to an have and. an and in order for it to be a yes and. I don't have an and. <laughs> okay, well, my and for you is thank you for telling us about Ricky. And uh, I think everybody should uh, go learn as much as they can about Ricky and see everything that she does and listen to all the things. And we'll have tons of links for you to do just that. Me too. So, Chris, who's your talent crush this time around? Uh, Today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Michael Ian Black. I love him. I know how you do. Um, (laughs) For anybody who's not aware, um, Michael Ian Black is a really amazing actor and author and comedian. Um, I first saw him on a show many, many years ago called Ed. Uh, I don't know, Stevie, if you're familiar with that show at all. I do remember it. Yeah, not super well, but I definitely remember it. It was Tom Cavanaugh, who was uh, something like a bowling alley lawyer, and Julie Bowen was his love interest. Um, And it was rather 90s, even though I don't think it was actually in the 90s, but I just really liked um, his character. And um, the other big thing that I remember Mike very fondly from uh, is a web series called Burning Love. Oh, yeah. I've seen bits of that. It's really amazing. It's something I definitely recommend every single living person should check out. Um, it, uh, 
a series that introduced me to a lot of amazing comedians, um, especially a lot of comic women, uh, because it's a parody of The Bachelor. And so Mike Black plays the host of the show, and Ken Marino is the Bachelor figure. And <laughs> then among the women competing for his affection are, you know, like Malin Ackerman and Natasha Leggero and June Diane Rayfield, Janet Varney, Deanna Russo. Like the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and uh, I think it's still available online. You can also buy it as a DVD. So maybe I'll put some links up there uh, where people can check that out. Uh, it was written by Ken and his wife, Erica Oyama, who uh, is a big Bachelor fan. And it's sort of her comedy homage to the genre. Um, but that's such a great example of Michael Ian Black's ability to play dry and still sort of hammy as a comedian at the same time. <laughs> um, and I, I think that the the really fun thing to know about him is that he's part of this group called the state, um, which, uh, is this sketch comedy group that came out of NYU in the late nineties. And if you don't recognize one of the people who's in this group, then you need to do some serious TV watching, um, <laughs> because the state was 11 people who have all gone on to do amazing things. Kevin Allison, Robert Ben Grant, uh, Ton Hollebeck, Michael Patrick Jan, Carrie Kenny Silver, Tom Lennon, Joe Latrulio, Ken Marino, Michael Showalter, and David Wayne, in addition to Michael Ian Black. And all these people are amazing actors, comedians, filmmakers, writers, podcasters. Um, it's just an insanely talented group of people. Um, I'm proud to say I recognize many of those names. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get an A for the day. Um yes. And another project of Mike's that I know you will recognize as another period. Oh, yes. We will probably talk about a lot of people involved with that project. Yes, because his storyline, the, the Dodo Peepers romance, uh, is my favorite part of that show. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, but just the ongoing um, feeling that he has for the mistress of the house and how that has played out over the three seasons we've had so far and fingers crossed for season four. Um, <laughs> it, it's just my favorite thing. Everybody go watch another period. Yeah. As we're recording, that show is still on the bubble, but um, fingers crossed by the time this drops, hopefully you who are listening will uh, know for sure that season four is coming. Um, Cause that show is amazing. Um, yes. But if you guys need a new Hortense, I volunteer. <laughs> volunteer is tribute. Uh, <laughs> The state is also responsible for the Wet Hot American Summer movie and Netflix series. So that might be another thing that people recognize that name from. Uh, but in addition to all of his acting work, um, Mike also does a podcast called How to Be Amazing, which is in itself pretty amazing. Uh, I was just listening to a couple of the old episodes, uh, sort of in preparation to talk about this segment um, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and a lot of other amazing people have done that show. I'm not going to list everybody, but I'll put a link to it so people can see. Um, but the thing that has really sort of elevated um, my crush on Michael Ian Black um, isn't just his comedy and entertainment work, uh, but recently he wrote this really amazing New York Times op-ed called mm. The Boys Are Not All Right. And I will definitely yeah. be putting links to this up everywhere, although I did tweet about it incessantly a month or so ago as we record this when it came out. Um and the thing that I like about it is that I, I am not one of those people who thinks that celebrities need to stay in their lane. That really bothers me when people say on Twitter, oh, just stick to doing this thing that I need you to do. Um, 
But I do think there's a responsible way for someone who's not an expert to enter a conversation where there's already a lot of experts. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it was really interesting the way Mike phrased a lot of things in this op-ed because his basic thesis is, I notice a problem. I think we should talk about it. I don't have an answer that I'm trying to shove down your throat. And that's that's yeah. me paraphrasing, not exactly what he said. But I thought it was beautifully written. I read it too, and I I thought it was wonderful. And I agree. I think, I think this idea that you know, oh, just shut up and do comedy is is very misguided because most um, most actors, in my experience, are real people who live in the world, and a lot of what makes us want to go into the performing arts is the world that we see around us and our thoughts and feelings about it. And I don't think that just because you get paid to perform, you shouldn't be allowed to have an opinion. You're not a dancing monkey. Um, you're still a full person. And I, I thought he did a really nice job of that. And I think it's maybe worth mentioning because it's relevant to the article that, I mean, first of all, obviously he was a boy <laughs> um, <laughs> when he was a kid. And he also is a dad. He's got kids. Yeah. Um, so he has as much right as as anybody else to be part of a conversation that I think is actually really, really important right now. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't have to just stay in his lane and, and do one thing. I think that that kind of thing you know, the way society is, is headed right now is kind of everybody's lane. Yeah. I mean, the public conversation is the public conversation. And that's why I sort of name checked Twitter at the yeah. opening, because this is the town square. This is how we talk to people that we don't know in our regular everyday lives. And mm -hmm. just to drill down a little bit more deeply into what this article is about, it's basically the concepts of masculinity and femininity in, you know, not pop culture only, but in our social conversations. Um, and I'm going to read maybe a couple of these paragraphs because I think that, that really I can't summarize it better than he already said it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's sort of, it's not in reaction to the women's movement so much as in reaction to what has been the reaction to the women's movement, which is a confusing way to say that. Um, <laughs> so let me just read this rather than trying to flounder my way through a description. Um, quote, the past 50 years have redefined what it means to be female in America. Girls today are told that they can do anything, be anyone. They've absorbed the message. They're outperforming boys in school at every level. But it isn't just about performance. To be a girl today is to be the beneficiary of decades of conversation about the complexities of womanhood, its many forms and expressions. Too many boys are trapped in the same suffocating, outdated model of masculinity, where manhood is measured in strength, where there is no way to be vulnerable without being emasculated, where manliness is about having power over others. They are trapped, and they don't even have the language to talk about how they feel about being trapped, because the language that exists to discuss the full range of human emotion is still viewed as sensitive and feminine, unquote. And I definitely feel like a really, really strong connection to these words that he put down here. I, it's interesting because that first bit of his argument is really the one part of the article that I had a bit of a problem with. Um, okay. The, the idea that women have been told that they can do anything and that we're the beneficiaries of, of that. And it's, it's not that it's necessarily untrue. It's just, I think it deserves the qualifier that, we're told we can do anything unless we actually try to outstrip men. 
Um, yeah, there was a bit and of I that. think I think what happened to Hillary Clinton last year, um, wherever you stand politically, if if you really look at the the language around that campaign and the way that she was treated as a candidate and the way that her opponent was treated as a candidate, it, the misogyny is staggering. And so women can be anything unless they want power and influence over men. And then we must smack them down as hard as we possibly can. Yeah. I think um, that's a really good point. It's something you and I definitely talk about a lot off the mic yeah. and we'll probably touch on again on the mic. And I, I do think it's important and interesting to note that uh, I'm not going to say anybody's name because I don't want to give them the attention they don't deserve. But mm-hmm. so many people in the American media landscape who were very critical of the Clinton campaign and a lot of other female candidates and politicians have now been outed as like horrifying abusers. Yeah. So, you and, know, there's no way that's a coincidence. And it's true that um, it it wasn't just... Clinton. I mean, I think she's probably seen the the worst of it that anyone has because she did get so far along. She's the tip um, of the sword. Yeah, but every every time a woman stands up and starts to run for something, this kind of thing happens. And if you if you look at what again, mostly white conservative men have to say about Emma Gonzalez, who's you know this eighteen year old girl from Parkland who survived the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School and is one of the leaders of the Never Again movement, and the way that she is treated by certain facets of the media, it's, it's the same thing all over again. So I, I appreciate what Michael is saying, and like I said, I think it's a wonderful article, and I think he's very much right about what he talks about with men, that we, we have yeah. a certain definition of manliness, and what isn't isn't okay, and the range is much shorter, and I think it's gotten much more severe in the last few years about what it means to, to be masculine and manly and it has boiled over into a very weird sort of entitled rage that seems rampant right now and the just the point i want to make for women is that i mean he's he's not wrong that we've come a long way you know we we have the ability to have jobs now we're allowed to wear <laughs> pants we're not kept out of most industries although i think women in in stem would tell you that they have a much harder time women in politics still have a much harder time like it's it's not all roses we're not there yet we are so far from equality and yeah. i mean the fact that in in your country the equal rights amendment has never actually passed so legally women are still not equal in that country that can't yeah. be ignored but well, the ERA is sort of a really complicated, not to, I'm literally going to try to mansplain the ERA to you in 10 seconds. No, that's not true. But like <laughs> a, a lot <laughs> <Good> of, <luck. laughs> a lot of female activists still don't like the ERA because of 14th amendment issues. And I don't want to dig too much further into that, but um, I, the legal mumbo jumbo around that and just the levels of like cultural baggage that are associated with it is really kind of fascinating. Yeah, but but the larger point that women are still actually not legally equal is mm-hmm. a problem. So we're not there yet. And I I appreciate what he's saying. And I do think that the range of what's acceptable for women is much wider 
in a lot of ways than what's acceptable for men. Yeah. And I think um, that's really more the point is just the sort of even above and beyond laws and the how things look on paper is how we have these conversations. And mm-hmm. in follow-up interviews and on the Twitter thread that spawned this op-ed in the first place, yeah. um, Mike talked a lot about sort of forms of expression. Mm-hmm. And like, it's hard to speak about yourself and your experience and your emotions without being sort of, quote, less than a perfect or a typical image of masculinity, unquote. Like there's just <laughs> no, that, that's that's a thing that doesn't quite exist yet. Like one of my favorite podcasters is Pete Holmes. Um, his show is called You Made It Weird. Uh, uh-huh. And that's definitely, I, I know you're not a, as much of a super fan of Pete as I am, but there's that's a show that I definitely recommend to everybody. Um and he has on a, a he had a short-lived talk show after Conan a couple of years back, and he had a segment that he ran on that called Gabin Like Gals, where he would talk to a female guest, and it would be sort of things that you would normally associate with women talking with each other. And I really liked the ownership he was trying to take of the impulse that he had of I just like to gab. I just like to chat, to gossip, to, you know, however you want to call it. Let's talk about our feelings and the way we live our lives and our experience. And unless you're talking about sports or politics or, I don't know, the stock market, it's less acceptable for men to talk to each other that way. Yeah. And and so I think to, to bring it back to Mike, I think he's absolutely right about there being something wrong with the way that, that boys are raised. Yeah. Um, and I think he made a lot of really good points in that article. So when I say that I, you know, had a problem with one section of it, <laughs> I don't mean that that was bad. And I also understand that he is coming from his perspective. Yeah. I mean, um, it is, and I'm coming it is, from mine and, and they don't conflict in my mind. It's just the, and in an op-ed, there's only so much space as well. So there's, there's a more nuanced conversation to be had about the way we raise girls and what we do to girls. Um, but in the larger context of his point, I, I would have liked to see a little more of that nuance, but I do appreciate what he's trying to say. And I appreciate that his focus is we are doing a disservice to boys and it is coming back to bite us big time. Yeah, and absolutely agree with all that. And just to yes and that, that's sort of the purpose of his op-ed, even above and beyond the typical purpose of an op-ed, which is he's not providing answers. He's trying to get the conversation started. I mean, that's the last paragraph of this thing is we have to start this conversation in a more meaningful way. And every time I've seen him on TV or heard him on the radio or something that that is the point that he's trying to make. It's not that the, the, here's this self-evident fix that everyone else too dumb to see. And so that this conversation being an outgrowth of that op-ed is really the point of the op-ed in the first place. And everybody Mm -hmm. talking about their experiences is the point of the op-ed is having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like now we've had a little teeny bit of it. So yeah. Michael Ian Black, you guys should check out everything that he does. Click the links and watch the things and listen to the things. And uh, if you get a chance and it hasn't happened yet, tweet at Comedy Central to get us a season four of another period. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. I, I also just want to, yes, and you, um, if you want to read some more of Michael's writing, this stuff is older, but uh, he used to write a semi-regular feature on McSweeney's oh, called right. Michael Ian Black is a very famous celebrity and uh it's that's wonderful and and hilarious and i would recommend that too we'll link to all these things and even though he is a a jaded and you know 
uh, an adult comedian person. Uh, he's also written some children's books. So oh, yeah. buy, buy those for the kids in your life. The one that he wrote on Trump, I think he may have done a second one, um, is really brilliant. I actually bought it for somebody last Christmas. So <laughs> can't, can't get more of an endorsement than voting with your wallet. That's right. So uh, if we promise if you look up more on Michael Ian Black, you will love him as much as we do. Absolutely. Okay, everybody, it's time for us to give you some unreliable advice. We've got a couple of great questions here, and we don't know how we're going to answer them. I'm going to read this one to Stevie. She's never heard it before. Uh, Anonymous asks, should I tell my boss when his zipper is down? (laughs) Well, Anonymous, I think that's a great question. Um, This seems like an awkward situation for you to be in, but I, I, I think you have to. I think he needs to know. Uh, I'm not sure how you would phrase it, but... Um, <laughs> that is sort of a key part of it, isn't it? Yeah, or or maybe there's sort of a, like a, a gesture you could make, like a zipping gesture that would get the point across. I've definitely heard euphemisms like, hey, the barn door is open. Yeah, or I mean, you could just go with the classic, your fly is down. But I... Yeah. Here's, here's what I think. I think that... Friends don't let friends walk around with their pants open. And <laughs> I think I read that on a throw pillow once. <laughs> so I think, first of all, if you're sure that the zipper situation is accidental, then by all <laughs> means, you should tell him in an, uh, as delicately a way as you can find. If it's not accidental... So if Yeah, we may have stumbled into some criminal behavior here. Well, now that's when you go and see your friends in HR. Yeah, your friendly neighborhood HR rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe someone else will address this with him. <laughs> I guess you could uh, send him some sort of anonymous note or like a handwritten thing. Although we've been saying, okay, so... The, Pardon me. I was going to say we've been saying him, but I couldn't remember for a second whether the question stipulated, but it did say his zipper. It did. I had the so, same thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're also assuming that the questioner means pants zipper. This could be another, it could be a jacket or any other kind of zipper. Yeah. I mean, if his jacket zipper is down, I think his, you know, his personal body temperature is probably dictating that. And that's okay. I'm assuming he's wearing a shirt. Yeah, that's probably not something you need to take to HR. Probably not. But uh, your your company policies should definitely guide your behavior more than a couple of yahoos <laughs> on a podcast. Do we have another question? Uh, we do. So this question comes to us from Chichi Gomez. Thank you, Chichi. Ooh, that's a fun name. It's a very fun name. And Chichi says, or rather asks, when is it okay to tell someone they have something in their teeth? Oh, this is, this is another like age old. Uh, yeah, that's a rough one. Uh, Cause I always want to say, I wish I, I wish that someone would tell me, I wish I knew, Mm -hmm. but I, I do get that this is one of those sort of awkward things that you feel like you're embarrassing the person. 
But my thought is always, are you embarrassing them more by not telling them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it comes close to what I said with pants. You know, friends don't let friends walk around with something in their teeth. Uh, Especially pants. Don't walk around with pants in your <laughs> never teeth. Never walk around with pants in your teeth, guys. It's just it's just bad form. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, if if you're if you're gonna let this person walk around with something in their teeth for the rest of the day, that's I mean, that's how do you how much do you like this person? I guess is my question. Yeah, that's what I've just come to as well. It's like, what do you what kind of experience do you want any particular person in this example to have? from the moment you notice the thing in their teeth forward. If it's, you know, a, a coworker that you have a beef with, then maybe just let them go. <laughs> that, that's funny too. You know, give everybody else in the office a little bit of a gift. But, uh, you know, if it's your spouse or a loved one and they're about to go on stage to deliver an important speech, maybe, you know, a, a hand mirror and a toothpick, isn't that a line? Yeah. Also, um, if you're about to have your photo taken with this person, I, I would tell them <laughs> because that just ruins the photo for everyone. Or makes the photo way funnier. True. So what? Again, your mileage may vary. <laughs> so, what is your relationship to this person? How much do you like them? Do you have their best interests at heart? If 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 you want what's best for that person, you will tell them that they have something in their teeth. If yeah, I feel like this is an issue where you're parsing being nice with being kind. Yes. But, you know, you know, it's oh, it's not nice to embarrass someone by telling that. Yeah. But what's actually the kind thing to do? What's the, the more moral response? I think in general, most people would rather have a few seconds of embarrassment being told that there's something in their teeth than to not be told, be unaware of it for hours and then eventually get to a mirror and discover that they've been walking around with a big, big, yeah. hunch of, big hunk of spinach in their teeth for hours, maybe. So, yeah, yeah I, I think you tell them unless, you know, if it's Charles Manson, don't bother. Because he's dead. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, was that not your He'll point? He'll never have anything in his teeth again. <laughs> well, that was, I think, some very unreliable advice that we dispensed tonight. Yes, we accept absolutely no liability for anything that may occur as a result of our advice. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> Well, that's our episode for this month. We hope you enjoyed it. Chris, where can people find you online or is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I do have a lot of stuff I'd like to plug, uh, but unfortunately none of it is uh, finished yet. Uh, so in the meantime, you can check out my website. It's ChristopherRoyce.com and uh, Twitter is where I hang out most of the time. So you can follow me there at Chris M. Royce uh, or find any of my other socials through the website. Uh, what about you, Stevie? What do you want people to know about? Uh, you can find me at steviejackson.ca because I'm Canadian. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at steviekaj, S-T-E-V-I-E-K-A-Y-J-A-Y. Um, and please look for my upcoming web series, Honestly Charlotte, uh, dropping later this spring. We thank everybody for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll talk to you again next month. See you next time. The Talent Crush Chat Show podcast is written, edited, and produced by Christopher Royce and Stevie Jackson. 
Show notes, social media links, and more can be found at talentcrushchatshow.tumblr.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and it'll help more people discover the show. If you want us to give you some unreliable advice, send us an email at talentcrushchatshow at gmail.com.